Well, we opened up our Bible this morning, and guess what? We read another story that assures us that God really is there. Uh, He really is aware of us. He really is watching over us, uh, carefully overseeing the events in our lives and guiding our lives with his loving plans and purpose. And he's doing this even through the most violent storms in our lives, just as he did with Paul and with Luke. You know, one of the most amazing thoughts that, that I sometimes think about is that God, the God that we serve, the God that we worship, he fills the universe. I mean, he's, I mean he fills the expanse of this universe. He's beyond the farthest star, beyond the farthest galaxy. But he is also always right here in the room with us. He's always right here in the space around us and in the storm with us, just as he was with Paul on that ship in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. He is as close as the air we breathe. And the Bible says our God is a very present help in time of trouble. God's loving care and his, and his nearness really solves everything about life. I don't, I, in, in one sense, I mean, I do care what your problems are. But in another sense, I don't care what your problems are. God's goodness, his care, his nearness really does solve everything about life. And th- this is the, the stunningly good news that never gets old unless we fall asleep to it. You know, unless unless our souls, unless our our minds and our hearts just just kind of just kind of start sleepwalking through this, and, and and we and we it doesn't become real anymore. It becomes just kind of a a theory or maybe a, a doctrine or a teaching. But if it's real, if it's something that really holds in our heart in our hearts, it's it's such great news that never goes never gets old. I think. That so often our view, even as believers, I I think that so often our view of things gets very focused on on the natural, on the rational, the things that we can see with our eyes and comprehend with our reason. But the Bible tells us again and again and again in story after story after story, in teaching after teaching after teaching, that... Life is not governed solely by the natural or mechanical laws. What we see with our eyes is not all there is. God is there. He sees all. He knows all. And he is watching over every one of his people for good. And the angels of God are there. Josh referenced that this morning, that uh, we've, we've come to... A, a kingdom. We've come to that place where there's myriads of angels. We've come into a place where God is there and his angels are there serving us in our hour of need. And the, the unseen God, and he is unseen. God is spirit. He's an unseen God. But the unseen God and the unseen armies of angels are as real as the walls of your house. They're as real as the pavement you drove to church on. They're as real as the chair that you're sitting on. And 
to, to put it in maybe, maybe kind of a very informal way, uh, it's just a phrase that came to me this week and I hope it makes sense, but we, must, we, we, we so badly need to continually rub up against God, to rub up against the God of the Bible and keep reminded of how real he is. Uh, the writer of Hebrews said, he who comes to God must believe that he is. Or some translations say that he exists. He who comes to God must believe that he is there. I mean, that's, that's absolutely foundational, but it's, but it's something that we so often forget in our, in our hearts. One of the great benefits of reading scripture and of reading stories like this in Acts is to awaken our hearts to the God who really is there. The scriptures have, have many functions in our life, in our mind, in our hearts, but they, they awaken our hearts to the joy, even to the, to the excitement and to the comfort of a real God who really is with us. And one of the main blessings I personally have taken from the book of Acts is, is just the message that, that God has broken through to us through the outpouring of his spirit. And he continues to break through to us by his spirit and his voice and his activity and his reality in our lives. And to me, this is the ultimate joy of life, knowing and experiencing God. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. When, you, when you're living life, walking with Jesus, and you sense and see and know and experience, he's doing things and communing with you and leading you and doing things that you couldn't do apart from him or without him. So God promises over and over and over to care for us, to commune with us, to intervene in our lives daily with goodness and mercy. And if we choose to do so, and I do say if because we can choose not to do so, but if we choose to do so, we can put our trust in the God of the Bible. We can put our trust in this God. We can put our trust in him and experience an amazing level of peace and confidence and even happiness and joy as we go through even the worst storms in our life. This, this is the kind of life with God that, that is available to us. Now, the story in this chapter... I hope you go home and read this in detail yourself. We didn't take time to read it all this morning. Hope you go home and read it to your kids. Man, you can't find a better adventure story to read, read to your family than, than this entire chapter. And the story in this chapter is one of the most interesting stories in the Bible. It has, it has danger, I mean big-time danger. It has, it has drama. It has disagreement between Paul and the ship's owner and the pilot. It has 276 people facing shipwreck and drowning in the Mediterranean Sea. And then at the very last minute, when all hope is gone, they're all saved and rescued. And yet, with with all the, the fascinating details of the story, which we are going to get into, but with all the fascinating details of the story, the one part of the story that far outshines everything else is that God himself is in the story. Amen? (laughs) That excites me anyway. God himself is a part of the story. When they had given up all hope of being saved, God 
sent an angel to Paul during the night, and he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. And we're going to talk some more about that later. But to me, I read through this story and it's, it's got, wow, this, fantastic, this interesting story and this danger and they've got problems here and the ship's breaking apart and this and that and everything. And then you come to this verse that Paul said, The God whom I worship and serve sent an angel to me and he said something to me. To me, that's the big part of the story. I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the part that brings the excitement to this, this story. And just as God was a part of this story for Paul and Luke and those with him, he is present and working in your story. He is present and working in your life, in your circumstances, in your drama, in your impending, looming disasters. God is there. He is present and he is working. Even the one that you're going through right now, maybe even the one that you're facing and dealing with this morning. Even if your life or some part of your life seems very stormy and unsettled, the scripture assures us that God is right there and present and working and leading and planning and bringing out something good. He's up to something good. Always in the midst of the storm. So God is with us. He is speaking to us. He is watching over us. And as I've said, uh, and I repeat, it's the greatest thing in the world. And the more you trust and experience this, the more it will completely overshadow everything else in your life. I was, I was listening to an audio book this morning when I was, when I was out walking early and... Um, one of the challenges that was in this book was to just start and plan to walk one day with Jesus from the moment you get up to the moment you go to bed. And actually encourages you to start the night before and prepare and plan to walk with Jesus a whole day. And of course we're supposed to do that all the time, every day, every moment, every week. But the, the point of the author is that so many times, you know, we talk in theory about walking with Jesus, but... Sometimes we never get around to it. And we need to plan, purpose, to walk with Jesus for an entire day. And then the next day. And then the next day after that. And the more you do that, the more you trust and experience this, the more it will completely overshadow everything else in your life. The more it will outshine everything else. To the point where David said, because because the Lord is my shepherd, or the ISV says, because the Lord is the one who is shepherding me, I lack nothing. It's because when, when, when you understand how good it is to have... God, the real God, have him shepherding your life. It's like you can come to this point, place where you just, you just say, hey, I lack nothing. I've got the Lord as my shepherd. It's a statement of, of confidence. It's a statement that, that leads to, to quiet, inner quietness and peace 
and, and joy, the joy that comes, comes out of that confidence. David also said, your love is better than life. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will, I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. I mean, it's like he's just trying to describe how good this experience is of walking with Jesus. And knowing his love, knowing his presence, trusting in him as, as, as his shepherd. And he says, you know, I'm, I'm just so excited. I'm just going to throw my hands up in the air and I'm going to say, wow, I'm just fully satisfied like with the richest, the best food ever. That's what walking with the Lord is like. With singing, my lips will praise you because you are my help. I will sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you because you uphold me. Again, David just could not contain himself over how great a thing it is to live life with God, to live life with this very real God of the Bible. He just cannot contain himself of what a great thing it is to be loved by God, to be helped by God, to be upheld by God. It's, it's so great a thing that it compensates for every other lack or disappointment or loss. Uh, it's so great a thing that it overshadows and overcomes our fears, all our fears. You know, I couldn't personally ask Paul this, but I don't think he would choose to be shipwrecked again if he had the option. But I'm pretty sure that he never forgot those comforting words of God that came through the angel that night on the ship when all hope was gone. And I am sure that he would not trade that experience for anything else in the world, even even if he could trade that for a danger-free, storm-free life. I mean, there's something, there's something about what, the voice of God. There's something about communion with God that is, is, you just wouldn't want to trade it for anything in the world. Yeah. And you've, you've heard testimonies. I'm, like, I'm not going to recite them, but you've heard testimonies of people that have gone through really terrible things. And they come out on the other side and they say, you know, I learned something about God. I I've, I've came to know God in such a deep, personal way through this. I wouldn't trade it. wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. I personally do not like change or drama. And, and sometimes with some of the things, that, and I know, I know, probably scoff at me, but I know with some of the, the little little bits of drama in my life, I, I I can sometimes feel so incredibly needy. It scares me and probably would scare you if I told you. But it, but it's in it's in those times where I feel such extreme need and, so, and sometimes I struggle with loss of heart and hope, just like they did here on the ship. But it's it's in those times that I, that I that I experience God's presence and his voice is so precious and so valuable 
and, and you know, such a treasure during those times. It's so sweet. It's so priceless. All right, well, I, I actually do want to get to the story in a little bit more detail, and that's what we're going to do now. So let's go through some, just some of the key things that we need to see from this story. All right, Paul was being sent to Rome as a prisoner to testify before Caesar. And he should have been set free, clear back under Agrippa and Festus and those other guys that heard his case, but they, they didn't have the backbone to do it. So he's get, he gets sent to, uh, to Rome to Caesar's. He's being sent on a ship. He's as a prisoner on a ship. He was in the custody of a Roman centurion named Julius, along with a group of other prisoners. I don't, don't know how many of them were prisoners. But also Luke was with him. Luke was with him too, and another believer uh, from Macedonia named Aristarchus. But the winds, almost immediately as they, as they started out, it says the winds were blowing against them. The winds were blowing hard against them. I mean, these were strong winds that they were facing, and it slowed them down. It didn't slow them down just a little bit. I mean, it seriously impeded their progress. So they transferred to another ship. Some think this was a, a, a larger ship at a port called Myra. Uh, but even on that ship, they continued to move very slowly. And with, it says with great difficulty, they reached a place called Fair Havens on the island of Crete. You know, if you love geography, get out your Google Maps and just read through this passage and then follow it on your Google Maps. It's really, really interesting. I, I'm not going to take time to do that all this, this morning, but just, just the geography uh, and the, uh, the detail of the journey itself is really interesting. So they reached with difficulty, it says, and after being slowed way down, they reached this place called Fair Havens. Fair havens on the island of Crete. But by now, winter was coming on. And with it, greater storms, at least the potential for much greater storms during that season. And so Paul, he spoke up. And he argued that they should not go on. He argued that they should stay there. But the centurion, it says, sided with the ship's owner and the pilot who wanted to sail on. They wanted to reach another port another harbor on the island of Crete called Phoenix. And so they did. They didn't listen to Paul. Uh, They listened to the ship's uh, owner and and pilot. But immediately a powerful storm came up called a northeaster, which would be something like a hurricane. It would be like hurricane force winds. It says they lost complete control of the ship. They were driven by the wind. I mean, they, they were not controlling the ship at all at this point. They were going simply where, where the wind blew them. They were driven by the wind. And, in fact, the ship, they were very concerned that the ship was just going to absolutely break up right then and there. And it says that they, they wrapped ropes around the hull of the ship in order to try to keep it from breaking apart. In verse, Luke eight, in verse 18, Luke said, Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began to, the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. So they had reached this point, which, which some, sometimes we, we all get to at different, different seasons of life. They had reached this point 
where the general consensus of everybody on the ship and, and maybe even of Luke and Paul, was they had come to the point where they felt, this is it. And, you know, sometimes you feel like, well, you know, I thought God promised that this was going to happen. But, you know, in the, in the darkest hour and things look really bad, sometimes you just think, well, this is it, you know. Maybe I didn't, didn't have anything, everything figured out. Maybe I didn't hear, hear right from God. But, you know, this just it seems like this is the end. They had given up all hope. You know, in most circumstances, I think most people or most of us cling on to some hope that things will get better. Um, and that's, that's, that's a good place to be. <laughs> at least have that hope. Uh, but Luke says they were, they were beyond, they were even beyond that point here. They had given up all hope. The first obvious lesson, and that's what we're going to transition to, we're going to cover some more details in the story, but I'm going to kind of just walk through some, some lessons uh, from the story that I, that, I, that I think are really important. I, I, I think that uh, not to say too much, but that, that I, I think the Holy Spirit laid on my heart to share with you. Uh, and the first and most obvious and most basic lesson is simply that there are storms in life. And that's pretty obvious, but but we have a real problem that we forget that. And so so we we become really shocked and mad at God when storms happen in our lives. And, you know, Peter said... Don't, don't be surprised by the fiery ordeal among you. You, you, know, you shouldn't be surprised by, by those kinds of things. We, we, there are storms in this life, in this, this world. It's not the way it's always going to be, but it is in this present, present time. Life is not all storms and disaster. I mean, there's, there's huge blessings and favors and things that we enjoy. But often it is. And even when life is not a storm... It seems like there's almost always a headwind or a sense that in some way we're being hindered or impeded. And again, not all the time, but wow, so much of the time we are, we're, 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 we're struggling against something to go forward. And even, even when we're doing the will of God, we can experience serious difficulties in doing what he has given us to do. Amen? Anybody else ever experienced that? Okay. And Paul was not out of the will of God. I mean, he was, he was, he was, he was going to Rome. God was sending him there. It was the will of Jesus. It was, it was the will of the Father. And yet they're just experiencing such difficulties in getting on their way. And I love the simple comment that Luke makes where he says, the winds were against us. Sometimes you just have to say that. The winds were against us. The winds were against them, and everything else seemed to go wrong too on this journey. You know, I don't want to get too much into this paradox, but I think it's something we do have to understand you know, Paul had already written Romans 8 at this time, the verse that we, that we shared this morning in our memory text. And if God is for us, if God be for us, who or what can be against us? And God is for us, always. 
And that always outweighs everything that anything can ever do to us or anybody can ever do to us. But it's, it's still true there is this paradox that a certain person or a circumstance or even Satan himself can be against us. You know, and Paul, Paul acknowledged, acknowledged that paradox. Uh, you know, he, he talked about how you know, many times I wanted to come to you, but Satan hindered us. I mean, he just he realized that, that was, that's part of walking through this life. It didn't mean that Satan had the final say. I mean, God always has the final say. God always has the, the good and better outcome in the end. But, but in its paradox, God is working good for us while at the time, on, on another level, on a circumstantial level, things and people and even spiritual forces can be against us. And I think it's really impossible to understand your life uh, without understanding the reality of spiritual and, and even satanic opposition. Um, and to believe in God's goodness, which I, which I do, I believe in it all the time, and uh, declare, like we did in the song, man, I love that. God is good. And we, do, we declare his goodness. Every morning we say how good God is. But to, to believe in God's goodness and, his, and in his sovereignty, his, con, his, his control over all things, does, does not mean that we have to say that everything that happens to us is good in and of itself. I mean, sometimes we just have to say that, that the, winds, the winds were against us. You know? God's greater than that, again, but still, we, we, you know, we just, that, that's part of reality in life. Now, sometimes, like Paul, we're caught in a storm because of the, of the wrong or sinful decisions of others. Okay? They are not in this storm. They are not in this great danger because of Paul's decision. He voted against it. Paul did not think they should have set sail. But he was not in a position to control what the ship owner and the captain would do. And there was, just, there was just this sense that, wow, these, this is the way things are turning out. And sometimes we don't, we don't have any control over it. You know, other people uh, have, have made decisions and choices, some, sometimes just, just bad decisions, sometimes wrong decisions, sometimes sinful decisions, and it affects us. It affects our life, and we feel that. We, we feel like, wow, we're... We're in, we're in we're in this storm, and we didn't even want to. We 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 thought it was stupid to go here, but here we are. And so sometimes we do suffer problems and setbacks because of a decision somebody else made, a spouse, a boss, a company. But none of these things keep God from working for us and getting us where He wants to go. And, and God wanted Paul to go to Rome. And he's going to get there no matter what happens in this storm. And, you know, sometimes things that we rely on to do certain things for us let us down or give out or break apart or just put us in a bad way. And, and I, that's why I was thinking about this, this uh, in this story. You know, they had, they had a kind of faith in this ship. I mean, when you're in a, in a sea... you. Put your faith in this ship, in a sense, that this ship is going to get you somewhere safely. And obviously this ship uh, was broken up by the storm. It didn't, didn't hold together. And a, a, a lot of just 
things in life, things in this world uh, that, that we, we, we kind of rely on to help get us through life. Just a lot, a lot of times, times they don't keep functioning right. You know, our, our basements leak or uh, septic systems give out. I put that one in there for David. Um, you know, um, I, I mean, all kinds of things. Our cars break down, computers fail, even 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 our bodies or bones break or fail. And sometimes the ob- obstacles and setbacks are so great that it just seem, seems hard to keep getting things done and doing what, doing what we're supposed to be doing. And we feel like we're always kind of swimming against the current. And at times, like these people on this ship, these 276 people, sometimes we can get to the point where we, we lose hope. But with God, that place that we, that we get to that's really low and we, that we feel like we've lost hope about maybe even things that we feel like God has called us to or things that we feel like God uh, it, it set before us to accomplish. And we, we can get so low that we, that we lose hope, but that's never the end of the story Amen. when we're walking with God. That's never the end point. That God has for us, we, we I don't. There's just never a story in the Bible where it says we all lost hope, uh, and that's the end. You know, you know. All right. Secondly, we see that God has something He wants us to hear in our storms. God has something to say to you. In your affliction, in your circumstances, in your drama, in your problems. And that's what I love about this story. Right at the point where Luke says we had, we had all lost hope, God sent an angel to Paul at night. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. Do not be afraid, Paul. I'm not through with you. You still must stand before Caesar. And on top of all that, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So when you feel that all hope is gone, or even when you just feel discouraged, maybe, maybe, you're, not, maybe you're not at the absolute uh, bottom emotionally, but maybe, maybe you're just distressed or, or discouraged, or, or maybe you are at the very very bottom, or when you are at the very bottom, when you feel that all hope is gone, or when you merely feel frustrated with minor setbacks, the most important responsibility you have is to hear what God is saying to you. David said in, in, his, in his difficulties, in his trials, he said, I will listen to what God the Lord will say. For he will surely speak peace. Psalm 85, 8. The prophet Habakkuk, when he was completely perplexed by what was happening to God's people Israel, he poured out his, his complaint and his, all his confusion before God. And then he said, I will stand at my guard post. I will station myself on this tower. And I will keep watch to see what he will say to me. Some versions say, I will keep watch, or I will wait 
to hear what he will say to me. And I was, I, I, I put that verse in, in the message and then I, I thought of uh, a, a book that's greatly blessed me over the years. It's called From Fear to Faith by Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And he quoted the same exact verse from, from Habakkuk um, where I, I will keep watch to see what he will say to me. And he said, he said this, and he, he, he acknowledged there's many ways that God speaks to us, and first and foremost, in, his, in, his, in and through his word. But even as God speaks to us in his word, there's a sense in which God, we have to hear God for ourselves and in ourselves. And he's, David, or Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, God speaks to me by speaking in me. He can so lay something upon the mind that we are certain of the answer. He can impress something upon our spirits in an unmistakable manner. We find ourselves unable to get away from an impression that is on our mind, our heart. We try to rid ourselves of it, but it comes back. So does God answer us at times when we, when we cry out for him to speak to us. You know, there will always be our own thoughts. And we'll always kind of hear our own thoughts. We'll always hear the voice of discouragement. Uh, perhaps even the thoughts of the evil one. But we always need to ask and seek, what is the Lord saying? What saith the Lord? And one thing for sure he is saying is, do not fear, like he said to Paul. Do not be afraid, Paul. Do not be anxious. Or as David said, uh, he, he will speak peace to me. I will listen to what the Lord, to what God the Lord will say, for he will surely speak peace to his people. He will surely speak peace to me. The heart of God is to bring comfort and assurance and peace to the heart of his people. That means that the heart of God is, is to bring comfort and assurance and peace to you in your distressing situations. One of the Old Testament prophecies about the coming Messiah uh, from Isaiah was that he would know, the Messiah, referring to Jesus, that he would know how to sustain the weary one with a word. Do you know that Jesus knows how to sustain you with a word? When you're, when you're really weary, not just physically weary, but when just, just your soul is weary. You just feel like you've been fighting and struggling and there's so, you know, so much working against, against you like on the ship. Jesus knows how to sustain you with a word. He knows how to sustain the weary one with a word. And that's, that's essentially what, what he did for Paul here. He did it through an angel, but God came to Paul and sustained him with a word, just a short message. Paul, don't be afraid. Yeah, he reminded him. Yeah, I, I, I've called you to go to Rome. I'm going to get you there. It's going to be okay. All right, third lesson is being a man or woman who hears God's voice in the storm gives you a voice of confidence in times of chaos and confusion. And because Paul listened to God, he could turn around to those with him and he said, take heart, man. I love that. We, I mean, that's, we ought to be people that can, can say that. Uh, take heart, girls. <laughs> take heart, women. Take heart, men. 
For I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. And that's what the interesting thing. Paul is just a prisoner on this ship, but he, he becomes the de facto leader. Just a prisoner on the ship, but he, in a sense, kind of becomes the captain of the ship in the midst of this, midst of this storm because he has heard from God. And when you listen to God, when you're listening to his voice and his perspective, the things that he's speaking into your heart, it gives you a kind of confidence that just stands out head and shoulders above other people and the way that they're thinking and living. It gives you a voice to speak encouragement and to encourage them. Ray Steadman uh, said, The danger was just as evident. The waves were just as high. The darkness just as intense. The hope just as absent for Paul as it was for everyone else. Everything was exactly the same except that God had granted to Paul an encouraging word, a secret knowledge. He gave Paul an inward assurance that enabled Paul to stand out from the rest of them. You know, when when everyone else can see nothing but disaster and darkness, we're not to go there. When everybody else can see nothing but disaster, we are not to be listening to the voices of fear, but to the voice of God. We are not responding to life with panic, but with faith. And this is one of our most important callings in life. Some of you have probably heard, uh, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, Rudyard Rudyard Kipling's famous poem, If. Uh, It starts out, If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you, then you will be a man, my son. And that's that's the the, it's kind of a a poem about becoming a mature mature man. And you know there's a lot of truth in that. But you know I would maybe change it just a bit and say, if you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you, then you are probably a Christian who is listening to God. (laughs) Fourth, we see the reality of angels sent by God to help us. Paul stood up to them and said, Men, this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. It was God who came to Paul and assured him, but he came through the ministry or voice of an angel. And we don't know why God does that uh, sometimes, but it pleases him at times to work through one of these marvelous beings that he has created, the Bible calls angels, who serve him day and night. And, you know, of course, of course, there are those who make too much of angels um, and there, there's things we have to guard against, against worshiping angels, all that kind of stuff. But we can't go to the opposite side and make too little of angels either. Angels are servants of God. And God chooses to work through them or, or perhaps even at times to speak through angels for the good of his people. And we see this all throughout the Bible. We see it from the Old Testament through the New Testament. We continue to see God... Uh, using angels to help his people 
in the church, even after Jesus left and ascended to heaven. Psalm 103 says, Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his, who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Psalm, that's Psalm 103, 20 and 21. Another translation says, or, or Praise the Lord, you armies of angels who serve him and do his will. You know, I don't understand it all. And most of the time, if angels are at work, uh, Hebrews indicates that, that they work while we're unaware of them. But nevertheless, they're there and they're real. And, and, and to me, it's, 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 like, uh, it's like opening a window, window and getting some fresh air when we see the reality of God's power and his ability to work and serve us and protect us and help, help us through his armies of heavenly angels. I got together with my uh, brother Paul uh, a couple of weeks ago for coffee. You know, I'm, we're at 11 o'clock already. Can you guys hang on with me for a little bit longer, please? Okay. Got together with my brother Paul a couple of weeks ago for coffee. And he mentioned that he'd been reading a book by a Puritan minister, uh, Cotton Mather, which was entitled Wonders of the Invisible World. It's a really interesting book. I won't go into the details of what it's about. But I, I downloaded that book. And while I was looking, looking for that book, I also ran a, across a book by a Puritan minister called Richard Baxter. F- fantastic, uh, godly uh, Puritan minister. And he, re- he had written a book called The Certainty of the world of spirits. And both books deal with the reality of evil spirits, but also as with the reality of, of angels. But the thing that impressed me about both of these Puritan pastors was their absolute conviction of the reality of the unseen world and the very real activity of God and Satan per- permeating all that goes on here. I mean, they just had a, such a biblical view of life. And I think we I think we I think we fall away from that and get such a, a material or naturalistic view of life. And in the introduction to uh, the certainty of the world of spirits, Richard Baxter said, the angels of God are not useless to us, but their ministry is one of God's means for our preservation. And we owe them love and thanks for all their love and service to us. And this, I just thought it was such an interesting comment just on the, the, the reality of their, their work for us. The book of Acts and indeed the whole Bible shows us the reality of the unseen realm. And it's not far off, it's right here and available to help in time of need. Fifth, we must put confidence Complete confidence in what God has said to us. Verse 25, So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. God spoke to Paul. Paul heard him, and, and, and he put complete confidence in that. Trust is placing your confidence in God. And I, you know, no matter what God has said, I don't care how fantastic the promises of Scripture are. I don't care how promises of a person, how great the the promises or or sense of a personal word that you feel like you've heard from the Lord. If you don't trust God, it goes for nothing. We 
our, our, our point of contact with God or the, the, way that, the way that all that God has comes into our lives and we experience it is through trust. It's putting our trust in Him. Setting the Lord before us and believing in Him. Putting our confidence in Him. Trust is placing your confidence in God and then, then speaking and living from that place of confidence. And you always have that choice. You can, you can place your choice in your own fears. You can actually put faith in your fears. You can put faith in your own anxious thoughts and say, well, that's what's going to happen. That's the way it's going to be. And you're actually trusting in your own anxieties and fears. When they, when they speak, when they speak, when you hear them inside you, you can listen to them or you can listen to God and put your trust in him. Trust in God is a, is a kind of abandonment to God. I mean, it is, it's kind of a wild abandon, abandonment to God or just leaving yourself and your future in his hands and trusting the fact that we are in the care of a good shepherd and there's no reason for us to be afraid of what comes next, not because we know what will come next, but because we are in the hands of a good and loving, good shepherd. Trusting God means trusting God with the outcomes of your situation. I mean, if you're not willing... If you're not willing to, to trust God with how things will turn out, then you're not trusting God. I mean, you, got, you, guys, you just got to leave your future tomorrow and the rest of today and next year. You got to leave that with God. You've got to just abandon yourself and your future to his, to his hands. And we, we, we trust God with the outcome of our situations while our situations are unsolved. We trust God with the outcome of our situations while the storm is still raging, uh, when it still looks like we're going to shipwreck. Psalm 910 says, Those who know your name trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. I mean, that, that's, that, that ought to be one of our most basic heart attitudes toward life. That needs to become the attitude of our heart. And, and we show that we trust God by the entire orientation of our life. I mean, Paul showed that he really trusted God by his actions and by his words. You know, he, he, he was encouraged by the Lord, so, so, and he believed it. He really believed it. So he urged the, the others to take food, and uh, he, 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 he said, not a hair of your head will, will perish. And he gave thanks. He, prepared, he, he said, let's eat. Let's eat, guys. You know, even though, this, even though they don't know how, how it's going to turn out. He said, let's be encouraged. Let's take some food. And he, he prayed and blessed it and gave thanks in the presence of them all. And verse 36 says, then they all were encouraged and ate some food together. That's the impact that you, that you can have on people as, as a spirit-filled, faith-filled man or woman of God. Trust, trusting God shows in our attitude and the things that we say and even how we say it. Uh, it shows in our ability to, to encourage others and lift their hope. Uh, doubt, doubt and fear are contagious, but so is faith in God.